All right, this morning we're in part three of the Mulligan series. I introduced you. Not everyone knew what a mulligan was the first week, but we put the, put the definition up there. It is from the world of golf. Uh, if you are playing with a generous group of, of golfers, a, a group of friends in an informal round, oftentimes uh, you will get a mulligan, okay? So if you, if you, that means if you shank your drive, uh, you can get a second chance to kind of correct that. And doesn't everybody love that uh, if their foursome lets them take a mulligan? Well, we need a mulligan in life. I mean, everybody messes up. Everybody has regrets. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone sins. And we are grateful that we serve a God who gives us his grace, who gives us a mulligan, who gives us second chances. Um, Obviously, that doesn't mean that all of the results, okay, from my past mistakes, the horrible decisions that I've made, it doesn't mean that they all disappear, that those consequences all disappear. It does mean that your future, that my future, that our futures do not have to be determined by what happened in the past. And that is a beautiful thing. Thank you, God, for that. Now, the key idea in week one was that God gives us a mulligan. He gives us a second chance. And it is so that we can grow... And so that we can change. It's not just a license to, hey, thanks God for your forgiveness. A license to go back and live exactly the way we were living before. Grace and growth go hand in hand. Now God gave this prophet Jonah a second chance to make things right. A second chance to get on that mission. Make a course correction and get on that important mission that God had for him to perform. Last week, uh, we were at that interesting stage in the story, that bizarre stage in the story where Jonah finds himself in the cramped belly of this giant fish. It is smelly. It is tight in there. It is totally dark. And Jonah has no other recourse. Okay, He has no place to turn but God. Um, God is his only remaining option. He's tried everything else. And we see that at a crisis moment for him, that was obviously a crisis moment, at a crisis moment in life, we get some clarity about what really matters. We get some clarity about what we can really, truly put our faith in. Now, when we put our trust in something less, in something other than God, in a false God or or an alternative God, if you will, we become a cynical people and we become a people with misplaced values. We start using people and loving things. When we were created by, by God to use things and love people... But when he's not at the center of our life, when Jesus Christ is not reigning on the throne of our heart, we begin to use people and love things, and that gets us out of balance. Um, Now, this morning, we'll be looking at that moment, that specific turnaround moment, or I like thinking of it as, as a pivot point moment, where the future becomes different than the trajectory that you've been living in the past, all right? So we're going to talk about what that moment looks like when you get that do-over. So Jonah chapter 3 is going to invite us to consider what that pivot point, course correction kind of moment looks like, all right? Um, Before we do that, as I've said before, in my walk with the Lord, 
Um, the book of Jonah has been one of the most relevant books, oddly enough. This little minor prophet tucked away in the Old Testament. This book has spoken to me in ways that few other books in the Bible have. And I think, I think the book speaks to a lot of us. I really do. I think a lot of people read it and identify with it with that. I'm pretty confident about that because, for example, you may not have known this little fun fact this morning, um, the Jewish people on their holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, they read the entirety of the book of Jonah. Every Yom Kippur. Write that down on your outline this morning. Something to think about. Every year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, holiest day of the year for the Jews, the book of Jonah is read in its entirety. Isn't that interesting? Why is that, do you suppose? Um, I think it's because they know and we know that the story of Jonah still speaks powerfully in our lives. It is an incredibly relevant word from God to us. A few days back, and I was, had started this series already with us here, the Mulligan series, and I wrote to a friend of mine who's a rabbi. Rabbi Brad Hirschfield, who is the president of the National Jewish Center for Learning and Leadership out in New York City. I wrote to Brad and I was like, so Brad, tell me more about this. Um, reading of Jonah. Uh, and so from his orthodox rabbi perspective, he shared some thoughts. Here's his answer. He said, yes, you have heard correctly that the book of Jonah is read as part of the afternoon service on Yom Kippur. Uh, while there are an almost innumerable number of commentaries and explanations for this practice, parentheses, we are Jewish after all, smiley face, all reduced to a couple of basic themes that throw, flow from the narrative. So listen to his perspective. He says, one, God's longing for human repentance. God's longing for human repentance. They think about that as they read the book of Jonah on Yom Kippur. The lo God's longing for human repentance. Number two, the inevitability of God's plan. The inevitability of God's plan. Number three, the need to combat our own cynicism regarding both our own lives and those of others. I think that's interesting. And finally, he says that God's compassion and forgiveness is always available for all, regardless of the past. Mm, that's good stuff. And we see that in the book. Um, he talked about God longs for people to repent. We see that in the book. God longing for people to get back into alignment with him, whether it's the Ninevites in Assyria, this foreign people, this pagan people, or whether it's his own prophet Jonah. His, and we see the inevitability of his plan. Ultimately, nobody can thwart the plan of God. No one can stop what God is up to. Okay? Um, all, and the need to combat cynicism. You talk about a relevant message in 2015. The need to combat our cynicism about ourselves and about how we look at other people. I mean, we do get jaded. We do get cynical when we think about ourselves and other sinners like us. And the book of Jonah, we talked about this uh, the first week. The book of jo Jonah says, look up. Right? Get your head out of the newspaper and all of the terrible things. By the way, an awful weekend in Paris, and we want to be praying for those people. But every week it's something else, something that makes us more cynical, something that or could make us more cynical, more jaded, more fearful. And the book of Jonah says, look up. Get oriented. 
from God's perspective. Um, and then this compassion and forgiveness available to, to all, regardless of the past. We see that in the book of Jonah. Um, so, yeah, I think the book of Jonah is a very relevant um, book in the Bible, very important because in a sense, and I think we can all say this, in a sense, I think we can all declare, I am Jonah. <laughs> when we look at this story, we kind of see ourselves, don't we? I've made mistakes. I've been rebellious at times. I have run in the other direction away from God at times. I think all of us could say, you know, I'm Jonah. So that's on the outline this morning. Write that down. I am Jonah. The story, I think, is so relevant um, because each of us at some point have, like Jonah, we've all turned away at some point. Um, so I am Jonah, but that's, this is the good thing about this story. I am Jonah, but that's not the end of the story. Because God is God, okay? God is God. Um, and God is a God of second chances. Um, so many examples, right? In, in just in the scriptures, Rahab uh, in the Old Testament, uh, a harlot and, and prostitute, a non-Jewish woman who, who suddenly becomes, gets a second chance and becomes a hero to the nation of Israel by a heroic decision she made. The story of Moses, who is this, at one point in his story, a murderer on the run, on the lamb, and God gives him an opportunity to reboot, redefine himself, and he becomes this, I was going to say important, but really that's not even a big enough word, this, 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 this amazing, pivotal leader in the history of the nation of Israel. What about David? Uh, moral collapse, a uh, huge moral collapse. God forgave him. God helped him to come back from that. Zacchaeus, uh, the apostle Peter, the thief on the cross. Just example after example of what kind of God we are gathered to worship this morning. A God who gives second chances. Um, and we don't, for, we don't want to ever forget that. That's why I think we take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. I think that's why the Lord instituted that for us to remember constantly what kind of God He is and what kind of redemption we have experienced in Him. Um, so He wants for us not just to gratefully embrace His grace for ourselves, but to be a people of the second chance, a people who extend grace to others. For Jonah, it meant going to Nineveh. And it meant preaching to them and giving these sinners an opportunity to get the second chance that he got, an opportunity to repent. So as disciples of Jesus Christ, um, we are this second chance people. In the book, and you see this all throughout the New Testament, as Paul writes letters to groups of people much like us, uh, people who were one way and came to Christ and are living in this new forgiven identity. He writes to the Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 2, listen to what he says to these people about their Christians, their disciples. Listen to what he says about how they once were, who they used to be. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead 
and your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3, all of us, all of us also lived among them at one time. No exceptions here. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following the desires, its desires and thoughts like the rest. Again, all in the same boat. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, we've all been that way. We've all been Jonah at times. Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to people who've been saved by the grace of God. He says, you were dead in your sins. You belonged to the world. You were being controlled. You were puppets of Satan. You followed the ways, uh, uh, the rebellious ways of the world against God. Paul says, that's all of us. That's who we were. But pay attention, Paul says, that's not the end of the story. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Unbelievable. In order that through the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? (laughs) I mean, I love that stuff. That's what God did for the Ephesian Christians. That's what God did for us in Christ Jesus. He gave us a fresh start because of his great love. God loves you, and he wants to give you a fresh start. So, don't waste his grace. Rely on that grace, on that second chance, to grow into a better you, to draw nearer to God, more in alignment with his purposes for your life, Okay, now we're ready for Jonah chapter 3. Again, it's a short chapter. Let's read it. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, like burlap, When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. He proclaimed, he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and the nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. By the way, much better sermon from the king of Nineveh than Jonah was preaching, right? Um, Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent 
and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Certainly not part of the message Jonah was preaching, um, this thing about compassion and repentance. Uh, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Now say what you want about Jonah. His bad attitude, his lackluster motivation, his, frankly, his lack of concern for the lost. But you've got to admit something about Jonah. I mean, when you read the book of Jonah, this guy got results. Wherever he went, he got amazing results. He preaches the entire city, turns to God. Amazing in chapter 1, back in chapter 1, remember, he's on that ship with his entirely pagan crew. And after his time on that ship, all of those people who had been worshiping false gods are now worshiping Yahweh, are now worshiping the one true God, the God of Israel. The guy got results, even when he didn't intend to. Animals in sackcloth. I, I, that, that always kind of makes me just smile a little bit. I'm like, I get the people, I get the king getting off his throne, and that's so symbolic, getting off the throne, putting on that sackcloth, being sorrowful, but, but I think the animals is, is interesting in that. He decrees that every living thing in the city repent. What a powerful symbol. We want there to be no doubt before the God of heaven and earth that we are sorry and we recognize our guilt. So we have... In chapter 3, this different Jonah than we did in chapter 1. The prophet, or at least his behavior, has changed. He's now doing what God has asked him to do. So look at this course correction briefly this morning. The differences between chapters 1 and chapter 3, just the first couple of verses, you see some, a lot of similarities and one important difference. Okay, there is, in this course correction, there is a call... Verse 1 of chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Verse 1 of chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. A second time. You see this command. What is specifically is God asking him to do? Chapter 1, verse 1, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach. Chapter 3, verse 1, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach or proclaim. Same thing. But very different consequence, very different result, very different response here. Um, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, Jonah ran away. From the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. That's the difference. That response. That consequence. Um, in chapter 1, Jonah got the call from God. And he ran in the other direction. In chapter 3, after spending three days and three nights in the belly of this giant fish, being deposited on some Middle Eastern beach in a pile of vomit, he decided that running away wasn't working. And so verse 3 says, He obeyed the word of the Lord. He went to Nineveh. He went to Nineveh. So the course correction for Jonah was motivated by this crisis moment of finding himself in a really difficult smelly situation um, in the, there by the Mediterranean Sea. That was the pivot point moment, the course correction moment for his life. So in the, in the Bible, this pivot point moment has a special term that's used. It is repentance. Write that down this morning on the outline. 
in the Bible. This, this moment that you embrace the second chance and you pivot toward God is called repentance. Jonah repented of having run away from God. Okay? Um, now he's following through with what God had been asking him to do all along. The Ninevites also repented. They also pivoted towards God in the story that is told. They were, by the way, we talked about this first week. We don't need to get back into it. They were bad people. They were really wicked people there in Nineveh, um, violent people. Jonah, over this period of time, 40 days, he is preaching essentially the same message over and over. And in Hebrew, it is a, me- it is a sermon that is only five words long. That you should be so lucky. Um, Jonah was preaching sermons that were only five words long. Sermon that was, okay, I can't get it there. But in English, it was 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. It's eight words, but much simpler, shorter in Hebrew. Obviously, and I probably don't need to say um, this, but just to be clear, obviously, the power was not in the preacher. (laughs) It was not in Jonah. The power was in the word of the Lord. The power was in the message from God that Jonah was preaching. And if anything happens here today or in any Sunday morning at Preston Crest, it's not because of me, obviously. It's because of the power of the word of the Lord. I can tell you, I think I've preached around 700 sermons here at Preston Crest in the last six and a half years. And I am nervous every single time I get up here to preach. I'm nervous because I know how incredibly inadequate I am to the task. I know my failings. You probably know some of my failings. Well, I know even more of my failings, okay? And it makes me nervous to get up here and preach. Um, so every Sunday, when I, before I get up here to preach, my prayer is, God, speak your word today. Speak your word through me. Well, God was definitely speaking through Jonah. City-wide revival. The king symbolically coming down off the throne, covering himself in sackcloth, in, in burlap, um, showing just how much um, he understands how sinful he has been as a leader and as a man. Others followed. And God saw this. God noticed. He was paying attention. He is still paying attention. And he gave them a second chance. So that's part of what's involved there. Let's talk about more about what's involved in, in this pivot point, in coming back to God. Well, everyone, everyone has fallen short of what God has planned for them. Everyone has sinned. Jonah sinned. You have sinned. The Pope has sinned. Your, your beloved grandmother has sinned. All of us have fallen short, okay? Short of what? Well, we were made from the beginning, and I'm talking Garden of Eden, first page of the book of Genesis, beginning. We were made, human beings, to bear the image of God, to carry the image of a perfect and righteous God in this world. Um, but yeah, we fell short of that. We have fallen short. It's not just Adam and Eve, but, but all of us have fallen short of what we were destined for, to be image bearers of God in this world. Now, what we know is that we are deeply valued. We are treasured by God. After all, He sent His Son to die for you, 
to redeem you. He paid an extravagant cost because of how much he cares, because of how much he loves you. And there are ways that each one of us, there are ways that you, through your life experiences and your unique personality, there are ways that you bring glory to God that no one else can. You are unique. All of us, every person, has the potential to uniquely leverage who they are in Christ to bring glory to God. And that is what every person on the planet was meant to do. Um, So listen closely. When I say yes to the second chance that God offers me, this is the first little bullet point there under that on the, on the outline. What does that look like? What does that moment look like? When I say yes to that, I understand that I am a unique and beloved creation of God. I am made in His image to bring Him glory. We have this expression, uh, He's a self-made man. There is no such thing. You were made by God. You were created by God. You did not choose to give birth to yourself, all right? You were not your own idea. You were God's idea. And you were created by God to bring glory to God. That means you have an importance. That means you have a standing. That means you have a value. That means you are treasured by God. Um, Also, saying yes to the second chance means this. I accept that there are sins that I need to confess I admit that I have sinned and I've run away from the great plans God has for me. All of this potential, this bearing the image of God, all of this, uh, the the reality that, that each one is valued and treasured by God and that we have turned and gone in the other direction, we've got to be honest to God. We've got to be real with God and admit how we have failed. Um, Now, the next part is the very, very best part of all. I can grow, I can be challenged, and I can change, trusting in the freedom of knowing that my sins are covered in Christ, that His grace can and should produce a profound impact on how I think, how I behave, and on the trajectory of my life. Remember that passage from Ephesians. Remember who they were and who they became. Paul reminded them that they had been dead in sin. He reminded them of how totally and completely they had run away from God, how disobedient they had been. He reminded them then of how in Christ Jesus, God made them alive. God gave them a fresh start. Now that to me is the really cool part. Because of his grace, because God is a God of second chances, we can get in on the adventure of following God the adventure of being the men and women we were always intended to be without being fearful and without being tentative. Paul finishes his thought. Listen to what he says to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we, and put yourself in here, this includes you as a disciple, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
We have all sinned. We have all fallen short. God redeemed us. He gave us a mulligan. Now we're his project. Now we're on his workbench. Now he gets to create something amazing where we live up in our potential as his children. And he's got some, as Paul says, he's got some really great stuff prepared for each one of us to do. Um, I'll give a little bit of props. This, this was inspired Wednesday night. We had the uh, youth small group over one, the North Dallas youth small group at our house. And it was very, very crowded. And it was wonderful and inspiring to see the, the young adult leaders of that group and the teens who were sharing thoughts and who were reading scripture and who were praying and were, were really pretty serious about the message um, that they were reading from Romans chapter 8 that night. But, but from that, I, this idea started to form. And I started thinking, I don't know if you've ever been to the circus. I hope you have. I think the circus is pretty cool. Um, but one of my favorite parts, and, and it's been part of the circus for a couple of centuries now, so I guess it's everyone's favorite part, or, or at least everybody enjoys it, is the trapeze artists, the aerialists. I mean, how exciting is that to watch people flying through the air? I wouldn't say it's with the greatest of ease. I would say it looks pretty real, pretty hard. It doesn't look easy at all to me. And they're flipping, and they're turning, and they're twisting, and they're, they're, they're flying through the air, not connected to anything at all at points. And it is, it is kind of scary. And I know that they, 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 they sit down, and they, they create, and they imagine new ways to dazzle, new ways to thrill and inspire. And then they train, and they prepare tirelessly. But there's that safety net, isn't there? You've been, you know. Um, maybe sometimes they don't have that. But most of the time when I've been there, they have the safety net underneath these aerialists. Um, so they can train and prepare. Um, and they are free to take risks. Uh, they are free to get it right if they didn't get it right last time. They're free to go for it. To, they're free to... Imagine the possibility of doing something even greater, even more stunning, because they know if they fall that there is that safety net underneath them that will catch them. What do you think about that? I mean, doesn't God's grace in some way do that for us? Doesn't God's grace make us more not less? Doesn't it, knowing that we have His love to keep us safe and protect us and forgive us, doesn't that make us want to dream bigger dreams and do greater things, not smaller things, safer things? Wouldn't you say? I think it calls us to greater obedience and devotion. I think God's grace calls us to greater living, not smaller living. Now, sure, there are different ideas about God, and there are people that have this idea about God that He is just waiting for them to mess up, just salivating, just relishing the opportunity to condemn. Well, they don't know the God revealed in Scripture, unfortunately, because that's not the God we find in Scripture. Um, now, if you think God is out to get you, yeah, you're going to live very timidly, very uh, fearfully, very tentatively. If you believe that God, though, is, as revealed in Scripture, this compassionate God, think of Him with the Assyrians, with the Ninevites, and even with Jonah. 
If you know that God, that God of second chances, that compassionate God who lifts us up when we fall, if you believe in this God who is a God of compassion and love, who has your back, then you're free. You are free to pursue greatness in your God-given identity as an image-bearer of God, of the Son of God. You're free to pursue that because you know that your sins have been dealt with. You know that you're saved and you're forgiven. Now we can be challenged and we can change and we can grow, really grow when we understand that. If not, we're definitely going to be playing it safe. We're going to be too scared to try anything, to dare anything great. If we believe that God is out to condemn us, then we're just not going to really take risks and take dreams. We're going to play it safe. In the story of Jonah, God reached out to a truly wretched city of people, the Ninevites. And then we read in chapter 3, verse 10, that he saw that they wanted to repent he saw that they, despite everything they had done in their lives up to that point, he saw that they wanted to pivot towards him. He saw that they were sorry. He saw that they were troubled by their violence and sin. And in his compassion, he gave them the second chance they wanted. And today can be a pivot point for you. Today could be the moment you let, look back on where you pivoted toward your potential in Christ. So through Christ, you can come back to the Lord. No burlap required today. Back to the Lord, forgiven, starting over. The safety net is there. God's grace is there for you. So do you need to repent of something that is going on in your life, something that has gone on unchecked in your life? Do you need to repent of that? Do you need to pivot back to the Lord and to cry out to Him asking for His compassion? Um, if you've never put your trust in Christ, you can do that this morning. You can put your faith in Christ, become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, being baptized into all that He won for you on the cross. The forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit can be yours if, you're call, if you call out to Him today in baptism. Or maybe you just need prayers. And as always, we'll have an elder down here. I'll be down here if you want to pray with one of us. Or if you just want to pray with your family or your small group or, or someone else, feel free to do that as we call out to God together. Let's be standing.